let's go to the hotline and welcome Ed Burns to the show. How are you, sir? You guys are bashing 27 dresses? No, just, uh, <laughs> just, just one. Spanish, just, just Spanish. one guy. I didn't bash you. I just said I don't like I don't like the movie. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to uh, defend that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love you. Thank you. But that's not what I'm going to... Uh, Get on the soapbox and preach about. Uh, hey, Ed, when you, uh, when you made Brothers McMullen, did, how hard was it to break that in? Like, I can't even imagine. Like, I, I we all have dreams of doing movie stuff when we're kids, and then when we get older, we realize, oh, is it even worth it? I mean, how what was the what, how did you break in? So, um, you know, I, I get out of film school. I get a job as a production assistant at Entertainment Tonight, <clears throat> basically fetching coffee and driving the van. Right. And... I start writing screenplays, and I write probably seven scripts, sending them out to L.A., getting nowhere with that. That goes on for, you know, two, three years. And then some people in the early 90s started to make these low-budget feature films that were getting picked up for distribution. And I said, all right, I want to be a filmmaker. That's what I'm going to do. So I write the script for McMullen. I figure I'll try and make it for $25,000. And uh, with the help of my dad, we put together a limited partnership to try and raise to 25. We're going to sell like five shares at $5,000 a pop. And my old man puts in five grand and a buddy of his who worked on Wall Street put in five grand. And that's all we got. So I said, well, let me take the 10. I'll shoot a trailer and we'll use that to raise the rest of the money. Right. He said, all right. He gave me the 10 and I basically set out to try and shoot as much of the movie as I could. And then basically over the next eight months, I was able to scrap together 12 shooting days and another about $8,000 to get the movie in the can. So then once the movie is done and edited, I then send it out to every distribution company, film festival, production company, and agency, hoping that someone will at least you know represent me or maybe I could get into a small film festival. And I get nothing for a straight year. Let me, if years. I could interrupt you for a second, uh, I hate to be ignorant, but what is the major cost uh, of the movie what what does a majority of that money that you raise go to in order to make it well now it's different you know i mean back then in you know 93 94 when i'm making the movie it's you know how do you get your hands on a 16 millimeter camera right Not like those are laying around and then the big the big cost was the cost of film and then the cost of processing the film so it's actually and the it, those, it's actually the hardware that's costing you the most money it's the hardware. And yeah. then even, you know, how do you edit film back then? Now, you know, and the book goes into, you know, into great detail how much easier it is for young kids who want to make movies now because, you know, you can shoot a movie on a still camera, you know, on a Canon 5D. Right. Or there was just a movie at Sundance in January that was shot on an iPhone. And every, you know, if you have a Macintosh, I mean, a uh, an Apple computer... You can cut your film on Final Cut or iMovie. People are cutting movies on. So, yeah, where most of that so, stuff is coming stock. Or, or, I'm sorry, but I would say most of the stuff is coming stock on the computer, or you can just buy apps and, and actually make a film that way. I, my son, who's eight years old, downloaded a stop motion app on his thing and is making small movies with action figures on his own. So there's plenty of options that you have now, and you probably are like, son of a bitch, I could have made McMullen a thousand times sharper for uh, half the money. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it was a, uh, you know, a very different time then. I mean, the advantage, the, di the difference is, you know, back then, you know, more of these small come-from-nowhere movies were being picked up by distribution companies, and there was an audience out there that was sort of hungry for, you know, what is the next Slacker or El Mariachi or Clerks or McMullen, 
you know, today there tends to be a sort of a glut of these small movies in the marketplace. But right. the other difference is, you know, back then, if I don't get into Sundance with McMullen, that VHS is on the shelf in my parents' basement, you know, till this day and no one gets to see it. Today, you know, your son makes his movie, he can put it up on YouTube or put it up on Vimeo and, you know, who knows, it might be one of those uh, those videos that catches fire and you know, <laughs> the next thing you know, that young filmmaker... Uh, all of a sudden being offered a TV show or something. I love that you're, so. you said it could be still down in your basement, so your father goes down and tells everybody, that's the $5,000 I wasted on Ed's movie right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a couple of my student films that are still down on that shelf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking to Edward Burns. Ed's got a uh, book out, Independent Ed, uh, Inside a Career of Big Dreams, Little Movies, and 12 Best Days of My Life. Now, uh, you brought up El Mariachi, which was a great movie. And that was Rodriguez's first, like, the time that most of us ever heard of him before and saw what he was doing. And I remember reading, I remember, that, like, I'm going to paraphrase his quote, but they said something to him as, um, another movie came out and it had, like, a $100 million budget. And they said to him, what, I think it was Rolling Stone, what would you do with a $100 million budget? And he said, I'd, I'd make another movie for $2 million and then I'd give the rest to a third world country. And, and I thought that was pretty honorable. But yet he went on to make, like, some of the biggest budget films after that. Yeah, well, once you get a taste of the big budget, it's real tough to go back. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, once you start yeah. doing it, everybody, it's everybody's, you know, like anybody who's poor, yeah. wants to say, you know, the more money they get, the more they're, um, all of a sudden they become Republicans when they're rich. <laughs> I mean, it's a different life. All right, anyway, uh, the uh, if you are an independent film fi make, uh, maker or somebody at home that wants to, wants to know and wants to get in, this is a guy to do it. How do you manage to keep that mentality, though? I mean, you're a guy who's... You seem to pick and choose the right things. You don't. You haven't sold out as far as besides twenty seven dresses, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been there's been a few acting jobs where you can clearly see I did it for the money. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know what? It's like every career has highs and lows, and there's been a couple of times in my career as an indie filmmaker where you know my career was done. I was stuck in the mud. I couldn't get anyone to give me any movie to make my next. I mean, any money to make my next movie. And, you know, a couple of times I had to go back, you know, most specifically in uh, 2009, uh, I went three years without making a film, and I realized, all right, if I'm going to make another movie, uh, I'm going to have to do it myself, and basically went back to the McMullen model, we even called it McMullen 2.0, and I was like, all right, we're making a movie for 25 grand, shoot it in 12 days, three-man crew, unknown actors, they're going to do their own hair and makeup, wear their own clothes, every location will be for free. And we made this movie called Nice Guy Johnny for $25,000, and, you know, it wasn't nearly as successful as Brothers McMullen, but at 25000 it turned a real nice profit, it got some nice reviews, and then all of a sudden the phone starts ringing again. Oh, we'll so, see. So it's a matter of, you know, sometimes you've got to sort of control your own destiny, you know? Are you able to get uh, different actors and more established people because of your reputation now? I, you know, over the years, yes. But, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's two lists of compromises any indie filmmaker has to sort of work off of. You know, one is, all right, if you want to work with established names and have all the bells and whistles and, and all the toys that go along with a bigger budget, you have to understand the minute somebody cuts you that big check, you now have a collaborator. Yeah. And that person fully expects to give you notes on the script, tell you who's going to play the lead, 
you know, they're going to want you to change the title of the movie. All those stories you've heard about in the, in the past. Yeah. There's another list of compromises you make if you're going to make a movie for 25 grand. All right, I'm not going to work with movie stars. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to shoot in 12 days, and it's going to be a, a little bit more of a run-and-gun sort of handheld production. When, when, depends on where you are in your career, you got to make the call, you know? When we get comedians in here who uh, who try things outside of comedy and they fail, they always say, at least in the back of my mind, I know that at, I could always go do stand-up comedy on the weekends and survive and take care of my family. Do you always have, I mean, Jesus, you are a good-looking guy. I mean, you always have in the back of your head, oh, I'm a handsome I'm a handsome actor, and like you said, you could pop in and do a couple of movies for the cash when things get slow. The the acting career has absolutely saved me during those desperate times in my indie film career. Yeah, you know? good for you. Um, it was it was never something I intended to do. You know, I just wanted to be a writer director and put myself in McMullen. You know, more at a necessity than anything else because you know I wasn't paying the actors. Uh, so then when people started to call, and then you know, then when I get Saving Private Ryan, it was like. Huh, right, maybe this acting thing is something to, yeah. uh, to explore. So did you ever actually take any acting classes or do anything, or did you just go, okay, well, I'm learning how to act, and this is how I do it? I did that. I sort of did, like, all right, I'm kind of I'm kind of going on instinct here, and so far it seems to be working, um, you know, and some critics seem, that, uh, seem to think I'm a pretty good actor, and some critics say I should uh, invest in some acting classes. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking to Ed Burns. Ed, uh, great uh, couple of appearances on Entourage. Is that something you do just out of uh, out of passion? Because that couldn't have been money for you. That just had to be fun. Yeah, no, well, my brother was one of the writers on the show. Oh, okay. So uh, for years, he was trying to figure out, like, all right, how do we get you on? And then him and uh, Doug Allen, you know, who created the show. Yeah. Um, they came up with the idea of the whole Johnny drama thing, and I knew Kevin, so uh, that was a pretty cool thing to do. It was it was great. Uh, two two things before we let you go. One is we had a huge discussion at six o'clock this morning. Uh, Rob, our producer, pointed out that, that. Uh, no, no, you'll you'll enjoy this. It was about you and your uh, supermodel wife that you guys sleep in separate beds. No, Rob, where did you get that from? Uh, oh, it's in your prep. No, that we have. Yeah, yeah. My wife mentioned that we have two bathrooms, so. We, we decided to use separate bathrooms as a way to... I, I mean, it was mostly her trying to avoid me for the obvious reason. Oh, bathrooms, not yeah. bedrooms, you bathrooms. idiot. That's a big difference. Yeah. What do you think, this is 1950s? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy and Ricky? Uh, for a second, I was like, I, I can kind of understand and get a nice sleep, but then if I was married to her, I'd be like, I want to get as close as possible. All right, and the other thing, I know I know you've probably been asked, this might even be hard. What, if you had to, what's your favorite movie of all time? You know, I mean, it's kind of a cliched choice, but it uh, I, it is because it is so fantastic. Um, is Godfather one? Yeah, I was gonna, oh, nice. hands down. You know, I mean, I put I put Goodfellas, Godfather two, and uh, as my close, you know, two and threes. But Godfather one still is the one for me. Yeah, would you ever do that? Would you do that? Would you make a mob like a modern day mob movie? We had a guy in here the other day, John Elite, who was John G Gotti Jr.'s uh, buddy forever killed a bunch of people, uh, beat a bunch of people up, and is now going on a crusade to talk about what a, what a government informant Gotti is. I mean, he seemed like he's got a movie just waiting to be made, but I want to see a, like a modern-day mob movie. Well, I'm doing, uh, not a modern day, but I just uh, wrote and directed 10 episodes of a show I created for TNT, which is about um, uh, two Irish Catholic Hell's Kitchen families in the 1960s 
One is kind of like my family, all cops, and the other Irish family are all gangsters. And yeah. They're connected through marriage, and it's sort of how the cops and the gangsters in New York back then kind of uh, kind of hung around the same places, grew up together, and then, you know, Monday to Friday, they got to fight it out on the street. All right, see, now that's worth watching. Uh, Ed Burns, yeah, his, his cool. book is Independent Ed, Inside a Career of Big Dreams, Little Movies, and the 12 Best Days of My Life. I always thought you were uh, very interesting. You make great movies, and it's a pleasure to have you on today, man. Oh, cool, guys. Thank you, man. Thanks. Really Take it easy. It. There you go. Ed Burns. All right.